glorious thing to come worship, uh, and we can say I'm alive, and we worship a risen, living Savior. My God is alive, and so I'm excited that you're here this morning, uh, this, this Sunday morning, to worship with us at Northside Baptist Church, uh, especially if you're one of our guests, and if you are, there's a portion of your bulletin that you can tear out. Um, we'd love for you to put uh, some information on there so we can know how to minister to you, we can contact you, and um, just have a record of your visit. Um, also, uh, it, this, is, this is not in the bulletin, but just something I want to make you aware of, especially around the Christmas season, um, particularly our, our home folks. We've got a, a little bulletin board out, out the front here. It's got some gifts on it. We've adopted a family that uh, is just needing some, some help this Christmas, and, 
If you, if you have the opportunity to give, we'd love for you to stop by and, and, and maybe grab one of those gifts. You can bring them, wrap them, uh, put them in the church off, uh, bring them to the church office, and we'll make sure that they get to that, that family this Christmas. Right now, however, I want you to take this time to greet one another and let, them, let each other know that you're excited to, to see you. Everyone can be seated. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Check. Check, check. Check. Children go where send thee, how will I send thee, oh, I'm gonna send thee one by one, one for the little bitty baby, born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children go where send thee, how will I send thee, oh, I'm gonna send thee two by two, two for the little and Silas, one for the little bitty baby, born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children go where I send thee, how will I send thee, oh, I'm going to send three by three, three for the Hebrew children, two for the Paul and Silas, one for the little bitty baby, born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children go where I send thee, how will I send thee, oh, I'm going to send thee four by four, four for the four that stood at the door, three for the Hebrew children. Two for the Paul and Silas, one for the little bitty baby, born, born, born in Bethlehem. Children go where I send thee, how will I send thee, oh, I'm going to send thee five, 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 five for the five that came back alive, four for the four that stood at the door, three for the Hebrew children, two for the Paul and Silas, one for the little bitty baby, born, born. Born in Bethlehem. He was born, born in Bethlehem. He was born, born in Bethlehem. Children go where I send thee. How will I send thee? Oh, 
ten by ten. Ten for the ten commandments. Nine for the nine that stood in the line. Eight for the eight that waited at the gate. Seven for the seven that never got to heaven. Six for the six that didn't get picked. Five for the five that came back alive. Four for the four that stood at the door. Three for the Hebrew children. Two for the Paul and Silas. One for the little bitty baby. Born, born, born in Bethlehem. Born, born, born in Bethlehem. If y'all please stand back.
pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come to your house and worship you today. Please help all these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom and for us to share the gospel wherever we go this Christmas season. In your name, amen.
right, I'm going to ask the children to come and join me up on the stage here. All right. Can y'all hear me? Yes. You can? How about everybody back there? Can you hear me? All right. All right. Well, you know, last week I had, I had like a little Christmas gift, little box, right? You remember that? Remember that? Well, this week I've got something else. What, what is this? Just tell me. A neck massager? Well, close. It, it goes on your neck, but it's not really a massager. It's, it's a pillow. Yeah, it's, it's a pillow. And so uh, it looks a little different, but this is really a, a travel pillow. What do you do with a pillow? You lay on it. You lay on it. That's right. Uh, depending on my accent, it might be something that's a structural support, a pillar. But, uh, but we'll say pillow, and yeah, you rest, and you lay your head down, and sleep on a pillow, right? Do you, know, do you know you sleep well whenever you're at peace? That's what I want you to think about with this the, a pillow. You can sleep well, you can rest well when you're at peace. This, this week, as we talk about Jesus and we talk about Christmas coming, uh, we want to think about peace, all right? Peace is something that helps us to rest well, to sleep well. But there's a little bit more to it than that as, as, as well. So I want you to look up here at Rebecca and Carter, and they're going to talk to us a little bit about peace. The silence of the night. The noise of the day is quiet. The noises of our own heart finally quiet as well. And for the first time in a long time, we can hear what was there to hear all along. The sounds of quiet peace. The sounds of all being well and of God's peace being laid upon us as a gift. Peace soaks its way through us, and for a moment or two, we catch a glimpse of what heaven must be. Such peace come when Christ comes. It is a gift of his presence. It was pronounced by angels who said, Peace on earth, good will toward men. We light the candle of peace as a prayer for peace and to announce with the angels that peace comes with Christ. Peace is where Christ is. But not all have peace because not, not all have Christ. We remember the billions who are still restless and peaceless without Christ. We light this candle as a reminder to ourselves to carry the good news of peace with God to all people. Candle that represents peace. Well, listen, I got a one. I got one more thing to talk to you about. Um, you see, we've got these little basket full of bows here. Okay, um, these bows represent a part of our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And so, what we've got, you see, this Christmas tree here. Uh, our goal for the church is to raise six thousand dollars to go toward Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and um, we do that. For just those that they mentioned at the end there, the billions that don't know peace because they don't know Jesus. And we want to send people, we want to send missionaries and pray for missionaries. And so part of what we can do is give money to help them go, to help them get, a, get, get on an airplane, to help them have a place to live, to help them have food, to help them have Bibles, and all the things that they need. So listen, each one of these represents $250 towards our goal. Right now, our church has raised $305, so we'll place one bow on the tree. Would one of you like to put the bow on the tree? Come on and let's go, Eli. You were the first hand that I saw. So go pl place that on the tree. 
And I hope we get this basket. I hope we can get it all on the tree um, by the by the by the end of, of December. So thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, we pray for peace. We know that peace only comes with Jesus. And so, uh, Lord, I hope we know Jesus, and I hope we can uh, seek to follow him in all of his ways. We also want to pray for those who don't know peace because they don't know Jesus, especially those today that live in another country. And we pray for those missionaries. Bless them, and may they understand peace that comes through Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. be seated. Last week we watched a video from some missionaries overseas and I want to I continue to do that over the course of uh, December as we have our emphasis on international missions and so I uh, just want to give you a little bit of a preview for this one. This is a guy who works with campus ministries here in North America but if you think that that's only to work with people who are from the United States, you'd be mistaken. The world is coming to our door. The world comes to us, especially to our universities. And we have the opportunity to impact the world through our universities. And so listen to this missionary as he talks about how they seek to do that. There's a thing here that whenever I put myself out and I say, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. But every single time I take a step on mission, you seem to show up in a really compelling way. Resonate Church began 10 years ago as a campus ministry that turned into a collegiate church at Washington State University. Our desire is to plant uh, churches on college campuses across the Northwest and across Canada as well. So every summer we have uh, two dozen to 40 students that are headed over to East Asia and they are on campus, they're learning the language, they're integrating into the lives of East Asian students and they're there being missional, sharing the gospel. Our staff members that are in East Asia long term continue the discipleship with these East Asian students and they ultimately deploy them back to the campus to be leaders. It's a beautiful situation. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you to understand God and to understand Jesus best is to see them as missionary actors in this entire narrative. So that begins to permeate through our church. It's our belief that what we do in East Asia allows us to be able to do what we do in Boise and in these college towns and in these church plants.
if they go across the world, um, it's more likely they'll go across the street. What we want to be is a church that goes after those people who have no background in Christianity. And as people begin to read their Bible and they see Jesus as the sent one to us and then telling us to be sent ones to the rest of the world, they actually begin to believe that. And they're so easy to deploy on mission. And so this is what I love about the Northwest and about the spiritual climate here is that it's so easy to be able to say, okay, this is what it looks like to be radically sent. We've got to be a sent people. And if that sent people can kind of begin to be the normative of our church, then what you begin to have is the beginnings of a movement. Pray with me. Father, I want to lift up specifically these folks who uh, have begun a church on a college campus and they're sending, they're sending young people out to East Asia. Lord, I, I pray for uh, all of the churches and all of the missionaries, the Christians in East Asia, that they would continue, that you would give them strength, that you would give them the power of the gospel to change lives. Um, Father, whatever they need, may we partner with you in supplying that need. Father, thank you for our missionaries. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you will, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 26. Chapter 26. We're going to uh, cover a lot of ground today. Because as I have said a couple of times before, I hope that I can finish out the book of Acts by the end of the year. But Acts chapter 26, if you would, once you find that, please stand. We'll be reading. Uh, Acts 26, beginning in verse 24. Verse 24. As he was making his defense this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much studying is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters. It is to him I actually speak boldly. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his notice since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you bless the reading of your word. Speak to us now, and may we listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. I was taking English, English 1002 or 102 and had to write a paper. And so we, we were given a couple of different options, and I chose to write about Sigmund Freud and the ego, the superego, and the id, and uh, his three components that make up man. And I thought, hey, that makes sense. I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I believe that we have a mind, a soul, and a body. This will be great. And so I wrote a paper that talked about the three components of a human and talked about it from Sigmund, Sigmund Freud's standpoint, from a biblical standpoint. I also looked at a medical standpoint. Um, 
And uh, I got a B on the paper. The only comment on the paper was, don't try to convert me from my professor. Um, I had my pastor look it over, and he said, well, you'd probably gotten an A in seminary. But I, I, I felt like this is what King Agrippa is saying. You think you're going to convert me here just this time? That's um, what King Agrippa was saying to him. But to really understand how we got to King Agrippa, I'm going to need some help this morning. And so, uh, this is going to be an active, uh, an, an active sermon, at least to begin with. And so, I really need some help. I need some volunteers. And so, I, you know, I, I don't really care how old you are. You can be a young guy or, or you can be an adult. But if you can hold up a piece of paper, well, come on up here. Come on up here, and I'll give you some, some different pieces of paper. All right, you're first. Well, you represent a lot of people. You're a Jewish mob, so I just need you. Okay, you can stand there. It's fine. Actually, you're the mob. You need to stand down here. Sanhedrin needs to stand above you. All right, so you're the Sanhedrin. I need Governor Felix. Um, let's see, I need King Agrippa. And, of course, I need Caesar. You know, you're actually more powerful than all those guys. All right, so hold, hold up your paper so everybody can see who you are, okay? Hold up your paper so they can see who you are. Now, we're going to try to review. The one person that I'm missing from here is, is Paul. I'm missing Paul. So um, Acts chapter 21. As we go back to Acts chapter 21, what we see is Paul has gotten to Jerusalem. He's gotten to Jerusalem, and he's seized by the mob. So the mob seizes uh, Paul, and they, and they take him, and they're going to take him out from the temple, and they're going to beat him. They, they may even, they, they're going to try to even kill him. But, but... Because of this little thing called Pax Romana. Did I say that right, history teacher? Someone, okay. I, I said it right, Hunter, thank you. All right, so they, Rome wanted to maintain peace, really above almost anything else. Hey, you Jews, you can carry out your religion, but just make sure there's not a disturbance. Um, but So there were, some, there were some Roman officials who stopped the Jewish mob Quit, quit. We, we can't have this. You know, we, we can't have this. If, they get, if this gets reported back to the governor, if it gets back up to Caesar, it's not going to be good for any of us. So stop all this. Let's see what needs to happen. And so in Acts chapter 22, we see that Paul requested that he speak to the Jews. And so he, he begins speaking to the, to the Jews, and nothing's really resolved. And so finally, uh, the commander says, well, you know what? Um, if they're wanting to beat you up and kill you, but we don't know why, then maybe you just need to be scourged a little bit. And so we're going we're gonna to get the truth out of you. And so the Jewish officials try to do that. And Paul says, wait a minute. Are you going to do this to a Roman citizen? See, Paul was pretty smart. He knew that they couldn't do that to a Roman citizen or else it'd be back on, on their heads. So he said, all right, well, then what should we do? Well, let's take him before the Sanhedrin. So Paul goes to the Sanhedrin. Thank you, Mob. You're kind of out of the story now. So he goes over to the, over to the Sanhedrin. Who, who are these? Well, these are the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and Paul begins to speak to them. And again, I told you, Paul was pretty smart. Well, this is what he did. Come over here, Sanhedrin. There's really two different groups of people that are part of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And there was one particular point that they didn't get along. And Paul brought that point up. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees started arguing with each other, basically forgot about Paul. And so uh, he, he escapes from the Sanhedrin. 
uh, and, and they say, you know what, we got to settle this between ourselves. Let's just lock him up for the night. So they lock him up for the night, and then there's a conspiracy that, that Paul finds out about. There's a conspiracy, uh, his nephew finds out about it, that some of the Jewish mob folks, it's okay to sit down because Jewish mob, you're really kind of underground. All right, it's, they find out there, there's a conspiracy to ambush him and to kill him. Well, this is, this is thwarted. They understand what's happening, and so they move Paul to Caesarea to appear before, Sanhedrin's kind of gone now, to appear before Governor Felix, a Roman. So we've got to talk to Felix, all right? Well, now he's there before Felix, and those Jews show back up, maybe some from the mob, maybe some from the Sanhedrin, but they bring a guy who knows the law. His name is Tertullius, who comes, and, and they have this accusation before Felix, um, and they, they accused him of stuff, but Felix never really did find any wrong in him. He never really found anything wrong, so he thought, I don't really know what to do, but I kind of like some of these things that Paul's saying. Uh, Felix, you know what You know what would be a good idea? Let's just lock him up for a couple of years, and then he and I can talk all the time. So that's what you did. And so Paul was locked up for two years, and occasionally Felix would say, hey, Paul, I want to talk about this Jesus guy. And, or, or I don't know exactly everything they talked about, but he talked with Paul for a good bit. Um, and then... You're gone, and no, still in place. You're still down here. It's just, Felix is gone and is replaced by Festus. Yeah, I'm not so sure you got a better name now. But <laughs> Festus succeeded Felix. That's chapter 24. And then in chapter 25, Paul is talking to Festus because he's new on the scene. Felix has known him for two years. He's talking to Festus. Well, just about the time that Festus is, is there, um, he says, I want to go see Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. Yeah, to Caesar. And he's like, well, you're a Roman citizen. You've asked to be brought to, to Caesar. I guess that's what we're going to have to do. And it just so happened, it just so happened that about that same time, in fact, the Bible says just a few days after that, King Agrippa, the Jewish king, is visiting with Festus, and you know, they just want to make sure everything is right. Everything, you want, you want, the king wants to pay honor to the governor, and they just want to make sure everything is good there. And he says, Yeah, but I got this guy, Paul, who's appealed to Caesar. He's pretty interesting. And King Agrippa says, Well, I'd like to hear what he has to say as well. And so Paul talks to King Agrippa as well as Festus one more time. And, and then uh, that's where we are, chapter 26. And Paul looks at King Agrippa and says, I wish that you were like me except for these chains. Do you remember Paul was promised that he would get to speak, that he would testify before rulers, before kings, before Jews, before Gentiles? Well, here we are fulfilling this prophecy. And then ultimately, he's going to go on a trip to Rome to appeal to Caesar. I did this because I needed help understanding where we got to in, in all of this. Um, thank you. You may take those sheets of paper and do whatever it is you want to with them. Take notes on a sermon sometime. But thank you for your help this morning. Thank you for your help. There's a lot of people that came and went and he testified before. And, and his message never changed. He told his personal testimony. He always pointed people back to Christ. It never changed. But that last statement that he makes to King Agrippa is an interesting statement to me. What does he really mean when he says, 
I would you might become as I am. Well, certainly, he doesn't wish that everybody would be imprisoned because he says, I'm not talking about these chains. What does he mean? Well, I thought, let me see what else he has to say when he's imprisoned. And so, you can turn there if you want to, but the book of Ephesians, it's a letter written by Paul while he's in prison. And he starts it out this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that sounds pretty interesting. How about another one that he wrote while in prison? Philippians. He goes on and he, he, does, he, he gives his greetings to the saints of Jesus Christ who are at Philippi. And then verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're two for two. How about Colossians, another letter written from prison. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Hmm, picking up on a pattern here. The book of Philemon. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. And he goes on in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not an exact science here. But if Paul, while in prison, writes letters to the church, and he includes every time grace and peace to you, I'm going to just assume that's at least part of what he is saying to King Agrippa. It's not a 100% uh, guarantee that that's what he means here. But it would be out of character for Paul to not wish grace and peace on those that he met. And with that, I'm going to, this morning, look at what peace is. Why would he offer peace? Why would he wish peace on those that he knew? Grace and peace the Gentile, and the Jew. For the Jew, the term peace would be closely associated with another Hebrew word, perhaps a Hebrew word that you're familiar, shalom. Shalom. It's a greeting that you give to people uh, as you meet them. It's also a greeting as, as you depart. Shalom. And this Advent season, as we get to this second Sunday of Advent and we talk about peace, I ask the question, what is peace? If we are to expect peace and anticipate peace, we have to understand what it is. And so today, I want us to look at shalom, the peace that I believe that Paul is uh, offering and that, that Paul wishes, compared to the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and to see if there's any difference there and what can we learn about it. So what is shalom? What is shalom? There's a, there's a great website. Uh, called Jews for Jesus. I go there a lot and, and get, get some good information, but they say this, that shalom, it's not merely the absence of conflict, but the fullness of well-being, harmony, wholeness, and life. It's not just the absence of conflict. There's more to it than that. It's about being made whole, being made complete. There's, there's harmony when we talk about shalom. It's a prayer that, if I were in Paul's shoes, I would say peace to Northside. That we would be in harmony, 
that we would have a wholeness about us. But uh, the article that I read on the website goes on and, and says this. Peace, hey, everybody is for it. Nobody's really against it. But what is that elusive quality we all call peace? For it means different things to different people. Think of this. Peace is what those who follow Eastern religions say comes only through the obliteration of the individual personality, becoming a part of the universe with no awareness of self. But what they really mean is serenity. Peace is what the elderly neighbor wants when the teenager across the street is practicing on his drums. Well, what she really wants is quietness. Peace is what the shopkeeper wants when he's worried about paying his bills. Well, he really means that he'd like his store to be busy and bustling with customers. And peace to him is prosperity. And then the patient that's waiting anxiously in the doctor's office to be told the results of a litany of lab tests. Well, they want peace as well. But what he really means is good health. And at the most extreme of all, perhaps, like Hitler, peace results from killing people. At least it means that killing to attain their kind of peace. When we don't have what we think we should have, we say we need peace. Let me say that again. When we don't have what we think we should have, we say we need peace. Well, that, that was from the article, like I say, from Jews for Jesus, who were trying to help us understand shalom. But let's continue. Let's look into Scripture a little more. What is shalom in Scripture? Can we find it there? I believe we can. And I'm going to start with the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. John 14, 27. Jesus says this, 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. It's interesting. He says, my peace I give. It's not the same peace that the world gives. My peace is what I want for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Okay? God's peace, if the peace of Christ is different from the peace that the world gives, what else might we find? Matthew 10, 34. Matthew 10, 34 says, Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wow, not really. Uh, if you don't know that verse, that's not really something you expected to hear from Jesus. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the enemies of his household. That doesn't sound like peace, but then again, when you look back at what he said in John, it's not the peace like the world gives. It's my peace. It's a little different. I didn't come to bring peace on earth, but to bring a sword. That's a hard scripture. That's a hard scripture. What, what are you talking about there, Jesus? Another definition, this is from a, a Greek dictionary that I have, says this peace means deliverance and freedom from all distresses brought about as a result of sin. Wow. Deliverance and freedom 
from all distresses brought about as a result of sin. You see, if that's what we think of as peace, is the removal of sin in our life and all of the consequences of sin, if that's peace, then certainly it comes by Jesus Christ. And it's not a peace. Not only does the, does the world not offer it, the world is incapable of offering that kind of peace because the world has no solution for our sin and the consequences of sin. The world has no solution for the death that comes by way of sin. The only solution is offered by Jesus Christ, who is the author of life, who went to the grave and defeated death, defeated sin. The curtain that separated God and man was torn in two so that, so that relationship could be restored because sin is removed. That is the peace that comes by Jesus Christ. And it's not a peace that is offered by the world. The world is incapable of offering that peace. So what then, what then really is shalom? Our question that we've been asking a couple of times this morning. Well, I believe, first of all, it is this. It is perfect unity with God. It's perfect unity with God. When I think about Adam and Eve in the garden, they had perfect unity with God. They were of one mind. They... And, and I've seen this illustration done this way. If, if this hand represents Adam and this hand represents God, they were of one mind. Wherever God moves, Adam moves. There's, there's, there's no complications there. But when sin entered the world, when sin entered the world, it would be like me walking up to you and saying, here, place your hand here and follow my hand. You don't know where my hand may move, and so your hand tries to catch up to me because there's a separation there. Now I have my own mind, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, as a believer, as a Christian, follow God's mind, but sometimes I get it wrong, okay? But perfect unity with God, it was lost due to sin and unrighteousness in the garden. We could only regain that with the remission of sin and a restoration of righteousness. This is the shalom, this is the peace that comes, that, that Jesus Christ himself offers. And if we see it in the garden... I believe we also see it again in New Jerusalem. Let me read a couple of passages for you from the book of Revelation. Revelation 19. Revelation 19 says, says this, verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure linen. A, sh a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And, his, and, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That doesn't sound like a very peaceful man when we think of peace in the way the world thinks of peace. But when we think of peace as the one who can come and conquer sin, death, and hell, this is the one who can usher in peace. And then as you continue in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, here's another part of this vision, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a voice, a loud voice from the, from the throne, 
Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be, will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. In that eternal kingdom that we long for, there will be peace. There will be peace because there's no longer sin. There's no longer the consequences of sin. There's no longer all of those things that, that are part of our life now because of sin. There's no more grief. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. They come as a result of sin. And the only one who could do this is the one who comes on the horse with his robe dipped in blood and whose name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But there's more. What is Shalom? Some familiar passages perhaps from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 says this. For a child will be born, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Well, he is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Peace, shalom, will be something that comes with the kingdom. Everything will be whole. Everything will be complete. Everything will be as it should be. Perhaps even you might say it's a restoration of the garden. A kingdom of true shalom. Not a kingdom like Rome gave. And the kingdom of God is at hand was declared by John the Baptist. So are we waiting on this kingdom? Yes and no. It's not completed. We have not entered into it fully yet. But the kingdom is here. And we get a taste of shalom. We get a little taste of shalom with Jesus Christ. And it generates a thirst for eternity. Verse 7 says, The kingdom will last forever. How do we get there? If that, if that is peace, if that is shalom, how do we get there? How is shalom usher, ushered in? Another passage from Isaiah, this time chapter 53. Another familiar passage. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. The version that you're reading in your lap may not say punishment for our peace was on him. It may say for our well-being or something else. But the Hebrew word there is, guess what? Shalom. 
punishment for our peace was on him. We sing silent night, holy night, all is calm and all is bright. We sing away in a manger, we sing the cattle are lowing, the poor baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Those are sweet, precious hymns, and I don't mean to say anything about, anything negative about them, but that's not really biblical peace. That's not shalom. And I have to gather that Jesus probably did cry. Paul says, I wish you were like me, except for these chains. And he says over and over again, grace and peace to you. Last week we talked about the hope of Christmas and we said that the hope of Christmas is found on Easter morning when there's an empty tomb. Today we talk about the peace of Christmas. Can I say it's initiated on Easter morning because death and sin and hell is defeated and there's peace and there's wholeness, there's shalom that comes when we begin to understand what life is like apart from our sin. So I ask you this morning, do you have hope because of Jesus? Do you know the peace that comes only through Jesus Christ? Not as the world gives peace. Shalom. Let's pray. Lord God, I come to you this morning and I'll be the first to admit, I don't fully understand shalom. I look forward to that day to understanding shalom. When I I get to join with the heavenly with the heavenly choir and sing your praises and oh to hear you sing, Lord Jesus. And I look I look forward to that day. But thank you that you give us a little taste. And I pray right now that everybody in here has experienced just a little taste of that peace that comes through Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit lives in us. The kingdom comes to us and moves through us, God. But we don't keep that peace for ourselves. We go and we share. And we want to usher in as many people as we can into that peace. So God, may we be people that proclaim the gospel. May we be people that let, people, uh, uh, that let other people know that their sin can be forgiven, that their life can be restored, that they can have peace with you, God. May we understand that peace this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to ask if you would please stand as we sing this, this song together. It's a time of commitment. It's a time for you to spend some, some, some time with your Father, with the King of kings and Lord of lords, who can usher in peace. And perhaps, perhaps for the very first time, you confess to the Lord, I'm a sinner, and I want to experience the peace that comes only through Jesus Christ. Oh, <laughs> we will be so excited for you today. I want you to know that peace. Whatever God is leading you, however he's leading you, you listen and follow.
Curtis and Ann. Uh, man, it's been good to worship in the house of the Lord today. Uh, and I'm excited that, that you're here. I want to invite you to come back tonight. You can read the bulletin and learn about all of our activities that we have going on. Um, and uh, we're going to end a little differently today, something that we're going to look to do throughout this uh, Christmas season. The song that was sang by the choir last week, um, we're going we're gonna to sing that today as we, dis, as, as we get ready to dismiss. And so if you're standing by a choir member, you know, they, they can help you out a good bit. But um, <clears throat> we're going to sing that today, and we'll sing it again next week. Uh, sing about the love of Christ, especially this time of, of, of Christmas and Advent. And then after we're done singing that, Neil, if you will come and, and pray, us, pray us out of here. All right?
pray. I wanted to read a Bible verse to you in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Simply put, without Jesus, there is no peace. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. And if we do need a little love, we need a lot of you. Jesus, I pray that you would remind us some of the saddest words in the Bible are when King Agrippa told Paul, almost you persuaded me to become a Christian. Lord, help us all to understand the ramifications of not becoming a Christian. There's no peace without you, Lord. I pray that you would help us to go forward to proclaim that peace, that your gospel, that you died for us, that we could live for you forever. Lord, be with us today. Help us to go our different ways and bring us back tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.